Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays. Look, on Christmas Day, that will be a month of the college basketball season. Overall, I would argue that it's been a success. I know that's a loose term, but a success based on what we're dealing with here, which is more games have been played than not. The number of teams on pause is declining. More games are getting made up and will be made up uh, as we go forward. And look, obviously the numbers are worse in one-bid leagues based on testing versus the higher-profile leagues, but no league has been spared. Uh, Now, some teams have not had to cancel anything or go on pause. And others, there's a handful, haven't played yet. So uh, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, and that's as of my taping here on Monday. So what we're going to do here on this podcast, talk to Kevin Paga, Ken Pomeroy, and Joe Lenardi, three people who do a great job of providing data points for the selection committee, for you, the fan, uh, to get you know their views on where we are in the season so far, to check in on things of, you know, how they're going. We're going to get to my cat's ranks, my wishes for 2020-21, my predictions. And Deuce McBride from the University of West Virginia will also join me. They got a huge game coming up against Kansas, knocked off Iowa State at home. So that's all coming up. My Power 36 as compared to the people. Just a couple of shout outs here. Uh, Gonzaga, once again, we're going to talk about the Zags with our guests uh, they knocked off Iowa and South Dakota. Glad they got the game in. Jalen Suggs was our national player of the week uh, with an outstanding 27-point performance. Gar- Luca Garza had 30, but Gonzaga was the better team against Iowa. They've just picked up a game on Saturday against Virginia. It's crazy that Louisville, Kentucky is not the best game of the day that day. Uh, it's Gonzaga, Virginia. So the Zags looking every bit the number one team in the country. Baylor, number two. Hopefully they can reschedule at some point. Villanova, three. Kansas escapes Texas Tech, and Kansas was our team of the week as they get off to a 1-0 start in the Big 12. I didn't drop Iowa that far at number five. Uh, West Virginia, Texas, Houston, Tennessee, all my top 10. Michigan State, yes, they lost at Northwestern, but I didn't drop them too far from 4-10. to 10. AP dropped them down to 12. Uh, Rutgers with a huge week beating Maryland and Illinois. They're in the top 15 at 12. Wisconsin looked great, especially defensively. Oregon has looked really strong there at number 15 for me. Other ones that I think pop out to me, BYU in my top 25. They won at San Diego State. Minnesota beat St. Louis, handing them their first loss at 26. Virginia Tech fans asked if they have a television. I do. I've got multiple, and they think they should have been in the power 36, not Clemson. That's a fair argument. They did beat Villanova. I had them in originally. Now they're out. You can definitely ding me for that. That's fine. But I did add UCF. After they beat Florida State, they're at 36. So every week, there's going to be one detractor. No Duke, by the way. They're number 20 in the eight people. Look, Duke beat Notre Dame without Jalen Johnson, which is a huge win for the Blue Devils. But they still lost two home games, Michigan State and Illinois. Notre Dame 
lost to Purdue. Notre Dame did beat Kentucky, but Kentucky's one in five. So I want a little bit more data on the Blue Devils. Maybe I'm being unfair to Duke and Virginia Tech. So that's sort of an overview of where we are. Listen, uh, there are Christmas Day games, four in the Big Ten. They did ask the players. Players have told me they said yes. They wanted to play these games. And because, look, they're staying home. Some schools have chosen, like Duke and Villanova, to send their players home. They'll deal with the protocols on the back end. The Big Ten decided not to, as a league, play games on the 25th and the 26th. Players were asked, the ones that said yes, those are the teams that are playing. Those are the eight teams playing. That's the truth. And, you know, the alternative is to basically stay in their room. And they chose not to do that. So, uh, look, we're going to have some great games to watch on Christmas Day, led by Michigan State and Wisconsin. Enjoy this podcast. There's a lot of information. It's not too dense, but a lot of information that I think you'll find uh, educational here in the first month of the season. And coming up next here on March Madness 365, Kevin Pauga and Ken Pomeroy. If you follow college basketball, the Ken Palm rankings are well known in terms of offensive, defensive efficiency, ranking teams, that uh, it's one of the data points that the Men's Basketball Selection Committee uses. And Kevin Pauga, he's an associate athletic director at Michigan State, but also his KP rankings are used by the selection committee as well. We're going to check in with them on the first month of the season. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Ken Pomeroy and Kevin Pauga. Kevin and Ken, when we get to Christmas Day here, it'll actually be a month of the college basketball season because we start on November 25th. So first, Ken, I want to go to you. What are your overall impressions of this first month of the season, which was not easy to get to this point, but we've still actually had some high-level games, some quality results, upsets, buzzer beaters, some data to chew on? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's where I would definitely uh, start is that just the quality of play in general, I think, has been uh, somewhat surprising when you consider, as you mentioned, you know, stops and starts, teams not playing as many games as they'd usually play, teams not getting as many practices as they'd usually get, and yet... Uh, we are seeing some pretty uh, pretty high quality basketball. I mean, it's hard to you know hard to argue with the quality of the Gonzaga Iowa game, for instance, or uh, the Villanova Texas game, or you know other big games we've seen this season. I mean, uh, you don't see a lot of like you know boneheaded mistakes or things like that. I really I'm, I'm pretty impressed with how the, the the play has developed so far. So KP, look, you know because you're sort of a scheduler uh, by day uh, how hard it was to get to this point. I think, and I said this in a column I, I had that. If he doesn't win coach of the year, Mark Few is going to win scheduler of the year because every big game he actually scheduled in the last six weeks, you know, Iowa, this one coming up against Virginia, Kansas, Auburn, West Virginia, uh, even these buy games they just picked up literally entirely new in the last six weeks. So for these teams to still pull this off, what are your thoughts? It has been impressive. What's, what's, what's been interesting about it, though, Andy, is that teams have been able to kind of see how good they, they are, how good they're playing, how their resume is evolving. And have been able to kind of schedule to in real time based on availability as some cancellations have taken place. So, so some teams that that have been a little bit more concerned about trying to build a resume um, have been able to schedule up uh, as they're as they're going. Um, some some teams that may have lost a high quality game may may have been able to add a game that uh, that you otherwise wouldn't have seen. So, so even though it's it's about one in five games has uh, has been postponed or canceled through this through this first month. Um, let, I, I choose to focus on the four and four out of five that are actually getting played. And, and frankly, some of the matchups that we wouldn't have otherwise gotten had it not been, 
um, for some some flexible scheduling and uh, um, some some matchups, frankly, that, uh, that in a normal year wouldn't happen. Um, but out of convenience, out of geography, out of um, being in the right place at the right time, we've been able to see some uh, some additional contests. So, Ken, one thing that I think we can't dismiss in this, you know, road home neutral sort of comparison here is, especially in this COVID time that we're all living through, traveling is not easy. So while you may not have a true road game in terms of crazy fans at Cameron, for example, you still got to get there. You still got to deal with the travel aspect of the hotel, the flight and all that and the stress of all that. And so to that point, you know, for Michigan State and Illinois, for example, to win at Duke is still impressive, even if there wasn't a fan in the stands. How are you viewing some of these true road wins that we've seen so far? Yeah, we do have to adjust our perception a little bit. Uh, certainly, uh, home court advantage is not not what it would be in a normal season. Uh, I still think it exists. It still appears to exist, but uh, it's pretty small. Like, you know, so far in conference play, uh, conference teams are right. Home teams are right at around 500 uh, in conference play. Now, it's early, and I do think eventually we'll see that go above 500, but uh, it's not going to be like it was in the past, and uh, it's something we need to keep in mind. Really, it gives an advantage to the to the favorite. You know, when they go on the road now, where the home, you know, the underdog might have a, a bigger chance to win. Um, you know, now it just gives the favorite a, a little bit of a of an edge, and certainly in, in winning the game, but also in conference races as well. KP, what do you think? Yeah, so I, I think that Ken makes a good point that uh, that that it's different. Um, his his uh, assessment of measuring conference. Um, win loss uh, in uh, in terms of home away is probably um, is probably most critical. I don't think that we fully yet appre- can appreciate what that data point is going to say. Um, mostly because the the non conference data set that we're accustomed to having, in, just kind of in terms of number of uh, MTE games, number of uh, challenge games, number of uh, um, buy games that uh, that typically take place. That simple that sample set is a little bit off. So to compare this data set of non-conference to previous years um, is a little bit of apples to oranges, um, but conference on conference is going to be pretty as close to apples to apples as we can get. So um, his point that it's a, that, that it's at about 500 right now is is valid, and I think that logic certainly plays out that uh, um, that it's easier to win on the road now than uh, than than maybe it has been in the past. But uh, it's going to be interesting over these next couple of weeks to to really get a better assessment of that sample size. So I'm curious, um, you know, both of your opinions on this, that uh, whether it's on a data point or just common sense and how you judge this for, you know, on one side, I respect and understand how some schools and maybe some conferences don't want you to play all these non-conference games or neutral site tournaments. But on the flip side, I think, you know, if they if these teams went out and played them and won these games, you know, they should be rewarded and there should be an indication that, you know what, they actually did this. And I mean, there's some examples out there, for example, like, you know, UCF. Okay. They win at Florida state. They beat Auburn. Uh, their one other loss or one loss to this point was at Michigan. So there's a team, small sample of non-conference games, all high major. And they went two and one in those three games, which is pretty good uh, for a team from the American that went out and hey, look, they challenged themselves and got it done. You know, so an example like that, what do you think of a team like that, Ken, that still was able to find a way to play some quality games? It's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what happens down the line with uh, with evaluating different schedules. And uh, certainly I think, you know, a team like that will be rewarded. Like they'll be rewarded for playing tough games and obviously winning them. And, uh, and you'll still have that 
uh, issue that I think is pretty easy to solve. The, the hard part is going to be the case of, you know, uh, not necessarily that DePaul will be an at-large team, who knows, but obviously they haven't played anybody and it's really not through any fault of their own necessarily, but, uh, you know, judging, judging what they've done or penalizing what they've done because they couldn't get their, their season off the ground is, uh, is going to be, uh, you know, I don't know where I necessarily stand on that. I guess as a purely data driven guy, I, I I'd like to think you just look at their conference schedule and not penalize them for not being able to play a non-conference schedule, but it's going to be interesting to see what ultimately the selection committee decides to do on that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of with Ken on that, that, uh, that, that I think that you want to be careful um, that, uh, that, that several teams look, if, if a team had, uh, had COVID positives during the non-conference and their schedule got wiped or, or two certain games got, got wiped and they were their best, uh, their best games. Um, I, I think that you want to be careful against penalizing that. Um, but you also should be rewarding teams that, uh, that were able to, to get the quality wins. So, um, it, it's going to be a little bit of a, a, a more of a mess of a sample size. Um, but uh, but I do think that we have enough of a sample size in the in the non-conference um, and conference forthcoming that uh, that the metrics should should have some level of relevance, maybe an, an increased margin of error to a certain extent. Um, but uh, but to term the metrics irrelevant uh, um, might be a little premature. I think that uh, that that we may uh, that we may still be onto something there. You know, another one on the flip side that I think maybe played too many, you know, is a team like San Francisco. All right, so they pick up a game at the bubble and they actually beat Virginia, uh, and then they pick up an Oregon game and they get blitzed, uh, you know, and they've played a bunch of games in between. Uh, and so now it's kind of hard to read them. Okay, they've got this great win against Virginia, you know, bad loss. I say margin in terms of bad loss, margin not the team in Oregon. But, you know, like, you know, there's almost like, okay, you tried to almost do too much and then that could hurt you. You know what I mean, Ken and KP? Yeah, no question. Uh, I, again, I think it just gets back to evaluating the entire schedule. And uh, uh, when it you know comes to uh, 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 looking at you know who, who a team has played. Sorry, my dog has gone crazy. That's okay. <laughs> Hold on a second. I, I kind of liked it. Yes. <laughs> hey, it's <laughs> real life. It was okay there for a second, and then uh, it was a distraction. But anyway, uh, San Francisco. So I think uh, you know basically uh, just. You can still evaluate the whole schedule in their case. And obviously they have a very high quality win in terms of beating Virginia and the Oregon game is, uh, you know, not a bad loss. So I don't think that really hurts them. So uh, it is going to be a huge challenge. You know, you're going to have the judge schedules of, of different lengths, but, uh, but I still think it's doable. And I, I would like to echo uh, Kevin's point that, you know, I think the metrics are in a way are more important than ever. Like we, you know, we do have the tools to kind of be able to compare what San Francisco has done to a team that's only played three or four non-conference games and be able to do it, you know, Pretty, uh, pretty fairly, I think. And, and to that point, if one team's played 30 games, each game's about 3% of your resume. Whereas if one team's only played 20 games, that just means that each game for their resume is about 5%. So it, it, it just uh, um, has to do with sample size. It, but we have ways to compare a 15 and 5 team to a 20 and 10 team. Um, I don't think that, uh, that, that we ever necessarily envisioned having to do that. Um, I think that it's a foregone conclusion that uh, that somewhere along the line that's going to have to happen uh, this year. Um, but uh, but because of the number of non-conference games that have taken place, um, because of the we we we've got those hot button words and cross pollination became one of them over the last couple of months. Um, and, uh, and and there's been some relevant uh, there's been some relevant games. You hit on San Francisco. Um, they've got a great win against uh, against Virginia. Um, but, but that's still just one data point. It's a really important data point. 
Um, but if Virginia does, or if, uh, if San Francisco does really well in the West Coast Conference, then that's something that can put them over the top, maybe just for seeding, forget about selection. Um, but if, uh, if things go different in the WCC, um, then, it's, uh, then, then it looks a little different later. So I, I, I emphasize regardless that uh, um, I, I keep telling, uh, telling coaches that the, the highs are never as high as they seem and the lows are never as low. And uh, we may not know what the outliers are in real time. Um, for San Francisco, the outlier might have been Virginia. The outlier might have been UMass Lowell. Um, we'll find out in time. All right, so the elephant in the room is Kentucky. They start the season one and five. Uh, they've got their big game on Saturday against uh, Louisville right after Christmas. Um, I'm curious, Ken, from a, uh, an efficiency rating, because if this were any other team at one and five, uh, we'd be like, all right, it's not happening. But it's Kentucky, and we sort of are like glued, okay, are they going to turn this around? And because they've basically played all decent teams, maybe the metrics will work in their favor if they win the right games going forward, certainly in the SEC. So what, what do they look like? on paper right now through your data points? Well, they don't look great. I mean, they're still ranked 51st uh, in my system, actually 50th as of today. So uh, in that sense, you know, they're they're treading water. But, you know, a lot of that's propped up by the fact that I do have a preseason rating that still uh, carries some influence at this point in the year just to make the ratings look sensible. I mean, the interesting thing about Kentucky is that, yes, they're one in five. They have not looked good. Like, no one's going to, de- to defend how they played. But, you know, all five of those losses were to teams in my top 100 and, uh, you know, Kansas and North Carolina are in the top 25. So uh, so their schedule has been, uh, let's say, tougher than it usually has been. Usually they'd have three or four bye games in here. And, and so, they're, you know, they'd be around 500 or so. But um, they will be a fascinating case because I think they're probably the only team at this point where you look at that they could, you know, conceivably be like very close to 500 at the end of the year. And, you know, if they were to say win the SEC regular season, they they could still be close to 500. And then, are you going to consider giving them an at-large bid with a 500 record? I mean, it would it'd be a very interesting case. And I think to to echo Ken's point regarding at-large bids relative to win-loss record, um, all win-loss records are going to be a little bit different this year as opposed to past years. Um, Ken's point relative to to buy games for the for the most part, at least as a starting point on scheduling. Um, Teams tend to tended to reduce their non-conference schedules by the four games, um, and it was kind of in conjunction with how many games they had collectively scheduled. Nobody really took the four worst games off their schedule. Nobody really took the four best games off their schedule based on where they where they were at. Now, Kentucky's schedule has been really challenging. So, in in essence, what they've done is kind of reduced their margin of error in in, in some ways. Um, but uh, but to, to to that point, strength of schedule numbers, which Andy, you've heard me preach that strength of schedule is uh, it's not a metric. Um, it's just uh, an explanation as to maybe why some things are, are looking the way that they are. Um, strength of schedule is going to be a little bit all over the place this year um, because you can't even necessarily judge intent of, of strength of schedule this year um, because what got canceled, what, what got canceled that didn't even make it public. Um, there's, there's plenty of games out there that, uh, that there were agreements on. Um, that they just never saw the light of day because they were canceled in some cases within 24 hours before before the information could get the, to the SID to post on the website. Um, so so there was a lot of intent there um, that uh, that that's where the more the the strength of record type metrics are going to to help a team like Kentucky, depending on how they finish. So one, I got one last point here, but I got to bring up Ken KP and I've talked about this quite often. We didn't have that many traditional uh, MTEs where there are three or four games at a site. 
Um, but I love his phrase. I don't know if you coined it initially about how critical the first game in those tournaments are, but Indiana is a great example of that in the relocated Maui by beating Providence in game one, they played Texas and Stanford. So they get Providence, Texas, Stanford, instead of playing Davidson or Alabama or UNLV, uh, in, you know, in, in North Carolina, in the relocated Maui, uh, which all three of those teams they played easily could be in the tournament at some, you know, at some point when we get there. Uh, and I think that's a great example of how valuable winning that first game in the non-conference and traditional MTEs will be. KP, am I right on that? Yeah, there, there were fewer eight-team, three-game MTEs this year for sure. Um, but, uh, but you're right. I mean, in, in a typical 11, 12, 13-game non-conference schedule, to have – potentially 15 to 20% of your non-conference schedule dictated based on whether you win or lose a single game um, can be pretty important, obviously. All right. So Ken, uh, before I let you guys go, tell me a team. I don't know if you have it in front of you or know this, but I'm just curious, a team that might be, you know, higher in your efficiency rankings that we really should watch or a team's that might not be in the top 25 in terms of like, you know, the, the AP top 25 that really has outperformed or performed well in the data, but maybe is not getting the recognition through just your traditional voting polls. Well, I'd say uh, a few of the teams that I'm fascinated by, you know, some of them are ranked, but you know, Tennessee, just by the nature of how they've really obliterated their, their, you know, brief schedule to date in terms of defensively, just, you know, holding teams to, uh, very low point totals. Their defense has been outstanding. It'll be interesting to see how that carries forward when the, the, their schedule strength increases. Um, Clemson, another one that you know their defense has just been outstanding, and people are starting to take notice of them. But will that carry forward in the ACC schedule? They've already are, obviously already lost to uh, Virginia Tech, so you know already zero and one in conference play. Um, Colorado is another team I think it's been really surprising just in terms of they really weren't. Uh, expected to, to compete or contend in the Pac-12 race. And yet they've kind of emerged uh, to this point as, uh, you know, one of the, you know, maybe the best team in the Pac-12, certainly the way they've started, just have that loss to Tennessee. But uh, overall, it's been a, a really solid start for them. So those are three teams that I guess I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by early. Is there one on the flip side that's ranked in the top 25 that the numbers just don't show it? Well, uh, I mean, you know, hate to hate to pile on here, but Michigan State's been kind of an interesting uh, team in my ratings. Where, uh, sorry, Kevin, but uh, you know they've been kind of a fringe top twenty-five I, no, team. It's, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they've been a, a fringe top twenty-five team, and obviously the loss to Northwestern, I think, exposed some things there. You know, uh, as the season goes on, I think a lot of people would expect them to get it together. But uh, to me, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of surprising after the the Northwestern loss. You know, I, I didn't even realize they were ranked fourth in the AP poll, which I think was a you know a little bit high for them at this point. Oh, what about Duke? Where is Duke on your list? Yeah, Duke, you know, they're still 13th on the list. So they started second in my system. So uh, that certainly is propping them up a little bit. Obviously, uh, we need some some more data from them. But, uh, uh, you know, the Notre Dame game was a nice recovery for them. So, you know, a little bit of sign, uh, a sign there. They are still truly a, a top 25 team going forward. But I, I really am anxious to see them play some more games. And KP, anyone, uh, any teams that jump out at you that, that Ken did not name? So, so, so not necessarily teams, but I, I want to kind of give Ken some credit here that uh, – that part, part of the good thing of his system is that uh, by not starting at zero, by kind of using a pre-established starting point uh, at, at the beginning of the year, it allows, to, it allows for some context um, to what's going on this first month of the season. And so there, there's benefits um, to, to starting at zero and, uh, and building your resume as, as such. But uh, 
Um, but some of those results-based metrics that, uh, that, that, that do that um, don't really have much to go by on this, to these first couple weeks. So, so being able to, to take that, that, uh, those preseason data points that uh, um, Ken would know the correlate, but the correlation is pretty, pretty doggone high. Um, and be able to provide that context in the in the first month is uh, is really important and, and frankly helps uh, helps shape the um, the college basketball narrative a little bit. So so having that data is uh, um, really helpful to a lot of people. Well, I'll tell you, this has been helpful for me. Uh, I love both of uh, everything that the two of you produce. Uh, I think every college basketball fan needs to make sure they're following both of you. Uh, Ken Pomeroy, you are invaluable with all your information. I appreciate everything. And KP, Kevin Palga, uh, and all that you do as well. Appreciate you guys. Stay safe. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And we'll talk hopefully soon uh, in a couple of weeks. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, it's time for Cats Ranks here on March Madness, March Madness 365. For the week of December 21st, top 10 wishes looking ahead to 2021. Let's start at number 10. Buzzer beaters, buzzer beaters, and more buzzer beaters. That's what I want in 2021. Number nine, let's go to the court now. St. Louis and Richmond, the two best teams in the A-10, I want to see them competing for top four-line seeds in the NCAA tournament. At number eight, look, no fans at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Likely no fans at Carolina. But I still would love to see intense rivalry games along Tobacco Road between Duke and Carolina at least twice. We didn't get Ohio State-Michigan in football. I think we'll get two Duke and Carolina games in ACC basketball. At number seven, Despite their troubles, it's good for the game if Kentucky makes a late surge after they started one and five. I love to see the Wildcats find a way to get back onto that NCAA tournament bubble and somewhere in that SEC chase. At number six, boy, the Big Ten is loaded. I could see as many as 10 or 11 teams like last year competing for NCAA tournament berths, but I think the Big Ten race could come down to the final day or two, and I'd love to see it with five teams competing. Those five teams, it could end up being Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan State, Rutgers, and I wouldn't rule out Indiana, maybe even Michigan. So it could be six, could be seven. Deep race for the Big Ten title. At number five, Gonzaga's Jalen Suggs and Oklahoma State's Cade Cunningham. I'd love to see a 1-2 race for National Freshman of the Year, kind of like we saw for National Player of the Year years ago between Adam Morrison of Gonzaga and J.J. Redick of Duke. We could have Suggs versus Cunningham, tail of the tape throughout the course of 2021 heading into the NCAA tournament. At number four, Iowa's Luca Garza, who's going to run away with National Player of the Year. How great would it be if he ends up averaging 30 he had 30 in that loss to Gonzaga. He could average 30. Wouldn't be shocked if that happens. He's hovering right there on that line. At number three, I'd love to see Gonzaga-Baylor rescheduled. That game that was postponed due to COVID issues in Indiana back in early December. Now, they may not be able to reschedule it, but at some point, even if it's in the Final Four, the national championship game, we want to see that matchup, Gonzaga and Baylor. At number two, and these top two on a serious note, would love to see 
no COVID issues sidelining any teams. Once we get into January, and obviously February, and into March, conference play in the NCAA tournament. It's been a lot of issues, understandably, in November and December. Fingers crossed we can get to January and February with the COVID issues of postponements and cancellations being over. The virus won't be going away, but at least the issues of sidelining teams, that would be wonderful if we're at least past that point. And at number one, more than anything, Florida's Keontae Johnson with an inspirational video on his Twitter feed, thanking everyone, so grateful for the medical staff in Tallahassee and Gainesville, but just seeing him smile and sitting upright. My biggest wish for 2021 and a gift would be the gift of good health to Keontae Johnson of Florida. Doesn't matter if he plays again right now. We just want him to be healthy, live a full life, a healthy life. That's the most important thing. That's the biggest gift to see Keontae Johnson walking around, happy, moving forward with his life, regardless of where basketball falls in that. Just want to keep wishing him good wishes, good health in 2021. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Joe Lenardi, my good friend from ESPN, the original bracketologist, bracketologist, excuse me. Um, all right, Joe, first off, uh, when we get to Christmas Day, it'll actually be a month of the season. And I'm going to be positive, as you know I always am, which is that a month in, we're at the, at least the stage where there are a declining number of programs on pause. Uh, so we're seeing that trend go down, declining number of teams that haven't played yet, uh, that were scheduled to play. And I, I firmly believe, even though we've had some conference games postponed, I still believe they'll be made up because they can, and the conferences can figure it out. Uh, and they've got time, something football didn't have. Uh, we've got, we're not even into January yet. So they have all of January, all of February, maybe early March to make these games up. So I'm going to be positive, but in the first month of the season, the unbalanced schedule, which we knew would happen, what has stood out to you in terms of non-conference resumes that have jumped out to you before we get in to even conference play? Well, first of all, I want to share your positivity, if you will. Uh, I, I, I think anybody who knows us would say that we're both generally, you know, cup is half full people, but also realists. And, and, I believe that this first month of play, you want to say state of play, has been a success. More full than empty, more games, and a higher quality of play, quite honestly, than I think we had a right to expect. Okay. Having said that, uh, yes, it's very uneven. Uh, and we knew, or at least we presumed it was going to be uneven. And here's my mantra for selection and seeding for this year, irrespective of individual teams' resumes. And, and this is going to be my thing un, un, until proven otherwise. My dad used to say, common sense is a very underrated thing. And we need a lot of it right now at life, but in this little slice of it, to forecast college basketball, Andy, like 
sometimes the most obvious answer, the correct answer, is right in front of you. What 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 is that? Occam's razor or what whatever it is. Like if a team is six and fourteen in a big time league, okay, and they've got four great wins out of six, so what? Right? Like they're six and fourteen. And if uh, you know Western Kentucky is twenty three and three or whatever, then maybe they should go ahead of that six and fourteen. No, like forget about the resume. Within reason, right? Like common sense would say, under these circumstances, to go twenty three and four is hard, right? And that that if you go six and fourteen, even if you're playing in the Western Division of the NBA, you got half your games at home. You didn't win enough, right? So we're going to be having these debates, I'm sure, because the main resume thing is we're going to be looking at teams with losing records because nobody was able to play or schedule their way to nine and one or ten and two or whatever in the non-conference, and that's going to make everything look lopsided. And in some cases, it's going to make sense to look at a team with a losing record. And most cases, it's not. All right. So let me let me do a couple of things real quick. I'm just going to pepper you with uh, what I think, you know, have been significant, because I do think while I don't want to penalize the schools that because of COVID issues couldn't play these games on the flip side, I want to reward teams that actually got it done uh, and you know, navigated their way through. So right off the bat, Gonzaga, um, number one team in the country. And Mark Few is going to be scheduler of the year, no matter what, because all his games so far were scheduled in the last six weeks uh, on the fly, Kansas, Auburn, West Virginia, Iowa. And of course, and now this double header with Northwestern state or whoever right. there, but now picking up Virginia in place of right. Baylor. Um, so right off the bat, I heard they were going to play the Lakers. <laughs> I mean, they literally would have to fall off the face of the earth to not be a one seed. And I say that here on December 21st. Is that right? Of course. And, y- you know, it, it, it is fair to evaluate a team that played, you know, seven real non-league games versus one that played two. That, that, that doesn't mean the people made a mistake. It's just bad luck. Right. Like luck is a greater factor than ever because of the 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 health environment. And does that stink? And other words that begin with yeah, uh, S, of course. Is there anything that anybody could have done about it? No. So we just got to take the hand that's been dealt. And, and some teams are going to benefit and some are not. Uh, the Mark Few thing in particular and, and you know, we're both friendly with him and, and maybe we have a little bit of a bias, but uh, you know, he'll go anywhere. And I mean, I think he'd play Baylor in times square at midnight on new year's Eve, if he could. And I would go. Yes. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to pepper you with a couple of results and see what you think of them so far this season in the first month. Um, UCF winning. This is like rapid fire. UCF winning at Florida state. Uh, absolutely moves them to the bubble. All right. <laughs> you want uh, rapid, right? Yes. San Francisco beating Virginia. Moved them to the bubble. Now, it, it, maybe they've played too many games, 
they played 10 games everywhere you can imagine. Uh, yeah, they're probably not an at-large team unless they can get a Gonzaga and a BYU in the league. BYU winning at San Diego State. I think BYU is a tournament team, period. Providence mm-hmm. winning at TCU. And at Seton Hall. Yes, well, I was doing non-conference, sorry. Yeah, but, you know, it, it. Providence is right on the cut line with a new bracket coming out on Tuesday. I won't have my final bracket till I check the Cats 36. <laughs> uh, Xavier beating Cincinnati neutral and home Oklahoma. And playing really well right now. I mean, yes. they're undefeated. Several cupcakes, but um, yes, yeah, single-digit seed. Um, Marquette's a very interesting team because, mm-hmm. you know, Marquette has really played a full schedule. They knock off Wisconsin. They lose at home to Oklahoma State. They lose at UCLA. Then in league, they win at Creighton. Um, what's your read on Marquette right now? Yeah, I, I, right on the edge because they're one and two in the league and, and they're all like one possession games. Uh, I think they're good enough. I think there's probably, uh, you know, a handful of Big East teams, Providence, Seton Hall, Marquette, uh, UConn, a dub- double quarantine at least, right, for UConn. Uh, we just we just don't have enough information. Texas Tech to me is very interesting because they pass the famed eye test, which we know we've debated on that whole thing. But if you peel them back, and yes, they were close losses. They have not beaten anybody yet. They had the chance right. against Kansas at home in league. Played Houston on a neutral. Um, so like they're an intriguing team. Like you got to get some work done in the league now. No question. Now let's be honest. When they get in the room, we're going to hear a lot about eye test and not enough about common sense, in, in, in my opinion. And that is going to help the Texas Techs and kill the San Francisco's. Um, the A-10, a league you know well. Uh, St. Louis loses its first game Sunday night to Minnesota. Richmond beats Kentucky. At the time, we're like, whoa! Unbelievable win. Then Kentucky's one and five, which I think is very intriguing. Richmond has since lost to West Virginia. Obviously, you know, that's fine. I mean, because West Virginia is really good, but. One at Vandy, one at Loyola. Right. But it's interesting. We do this every year, but it's natural. Like a team like Richmond, when they win at Kentucky, we jump up. And then two weeks later, we're like, is Kentucky any good? Uh, You know, like, so how do you judge that? They're not good right now, but. I would be shocked if Kentucky continues this way. Right. But we shouldn't be surprised that when you don't have any players who played for you before and you have no offseason or preseason, that this happened. Like, we're all acting like, well, of course. Well, we, you know, we could have seen this come. Cal didn't see this coming. He really liked his guy, his team. Uh, what'd you think about St. Louis so far? I think they're terrific. Uh, I think they just, you know, setting tough environment last night. If if they played Minnesota best of seven on a neutral court, it would be a six or seven game series. And I think St. Louis would win, actually. And I wouldn't sleep on Dayton. Good win no. over the weekend against uh, Ole Miss uh, at home. The lost LSU at home, it could, could really hurt them because they're both going to be – well, I don't know how we define mid-major anymore. I heard somebody say – we're going to have a mid-major national champion for the first time in 30 years 
So I'm thinking, who the heck was that? I was at that game, UNLV over Duke. There was nothing about UNLV that was a mid-major. No. Even more so than Gonzaga today. Yeah, no, I don't want to hear that talk. Not when Mark's flying two planes to Florida, uh, you know, to make sure everyone's spaced out. You know, mid-majors don't do that. Uh, <laughs> all right, last two things, Joe. Uh, last year, the Big Ten, had we had a tournament, really could have pushed for anywhere from 9 to 11, depending on what would happen in the tournament. Didn't mm-hmm. get the chance to see the whole thing. Uh, how close do you think we're something similar to that this season? Uh, they're absolutely going to be pushing double digits. What, what I ought to do for a holiday project is look at the league schedule, the two plays and the one plays, and see what would have to happen for them, them to be in double digits. But uh, let's see. Let's set the over and under at nine and a half. And I'll take the over. Yeah. I mean, Minnesota's win over St. Louis is an example of that. And by the way, um, this may be blasphemous, but Northwestern beating Michigan State, and they should have beaten Pitt, I wouldn't dismiss them yet either. Absolutely um, not. You know, Penn State won at Virginia Tech, which had beaten Villanova. You know, boom, I boom, hear boom. one more win for Northwestern over a ranked team. They get to go to the Rose Bowl. Yes. Isn't that what the football committee said? They might, maybe they'll bump South Carolina from the two and eight ball. All right, last thing, um, no Ivy League. We know that for sure. The committee has not said this publicly yet, but it's sort of unspoken that it will be 37, not 36, you know, in terms of at large births, I should say. Because uh, what are we going to have, the, the a first four with three games? Well, I don't, I mean, so I don't know. I mean, if we end up something like that, what leagues do you think potentially could benefit from an extra at large? Everybody. Right. Be, 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 just like, you know, if selection weekend, there's a bid thief that goes away at the last minute. And, you know, it could be uh, uh, an East Tennessee state that gets in or it could be the 11th Big Ten team. It, it really just is determined by who's next in line. Most likely it's an A-10 American WCC type of team because they're the ones that are most frequently kind of sitting there in that position. Joe, I appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And uh, I know we're going to talk a lot about this because this is going to be by far. Uh, I say this every year for different reasons, but now this year with the tournament all in one geographic area, uh, that takes out that issue of trying to uh, deal with teams closer to certain regions of the country. So that throws another wrench into this that I'm sure we'll be discussing over the coming months. But uh, look, we're playing games. Uh, we're getting buzzer beaters. Things are happening, uh, and uh, we're going forward. And, Andy, we are working in the toy department of life. Yes. Okay. Never forget that. No. No, 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 no. Appreciate it, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. And now joining me here on March Madness, Deuce McBride from West Virginia. On Friday, the Mountaineers opened the Big 12 with a five-point win over Iowa State, where they were trailing much of the second half. Deuce, you at 18. Um, Iowa State really tested you, which really signaled to me and I think everyone else that the Big 12 is here, regardless of them losing at home to Kansas State, which had lost to Fort Hayes. Uh, it doesn't matter. Big 12 is a different deal. Why was this one so hard to close out? Man, I think uh, when you move into the top 10, you definitely get a target on your back. Uh, obviously, they they knew and they, they uh, had lost previously and they came in hungry. And I think that's, uh, you know, my job as one of the leaders on the team to get everybody going. And if, you know, things aren't going right, 
you know, I got to calm it down and, and get everybody where they need to be. So you guys have had, you know, off, off to, I think, a great start. You really were right there to beat Gonzaga in, in uh, Indy. A couple things just toward at the end of the game just got away from you. Overall, as we get closer to the holidays, you've now started the Big 12. How would you assess where this West Virginia team is? I think we're uh, we're going towards our peak, you know. Obviously, you want to peak in March and in the end of uh, the end of March and beginning of April, obviously. But you know, we're heading towards that that light. And I think if we pull together as a team and buy in a little bit more, we'll we'll be playing in those uh, last games. So you guys played at home. Uh, usually, it's a crazy crowd. There's no crazy crowds this season. Uh, what's it like to sort of create your own energy, um, whether it's on the road, but especially in Morgantown? Uh, it's definitely tough, you know. Obviously, came in as a freshman. Uh, every game almost sold out, especially in the Big 12. And I think in games like this, uh, you know, playing Iowa State, it really matters when you have a crowd behind your back. If, you, if things are going well, you know, it's loud, and the other team might get down even more. And if things aren't going right, they get us back in the game. So it's one of those things that, you know, we're just going to have to get used to and, and keep grinding things out. So, Deuce, obviously, Baylor is one of the best teams in the country, not just in the Big 12. Texas Tech's had a good run. But the barometer in the Big 12 has always been Kansas. That's the hurdle to get over. Your next game in the Big 12 is against Kansas. What is it about the Jayhawks that maybe brings out the best in West Virginia? You've had great success at home as a program against the Jayhawks. It's always hard to win at Fog, fans or no fans. What is it about playing Kansas? Um, honestly, they just really stay together as a team. Even when, you know, things get tough, they usually have a guy or two that really just pulls them in and kind of gets things going their way. And I think as a team, if we can kind of, you know, keep them down and us do the same and stick together, even if we're down or up and kind of don't let up, I think we can come out uh, with a win. All right. So you guys obviously thought you had a top 10 final four caliber team. I've been now I'm on board now. I've got you as one of the best teams in the country. I've had you guys now in that top 10 range. Um, why did you believe, despite all the craziness of this chaotic offseason, that you had a potential top 10 Final Four team? Uh, I would just say because of the offseason, you know. I think, you know, when we all went home, we all were testing each other, you know, make sure everybody's getting their shots up, you know, trying to hold each other accountable and, you know, everybody's staying out of the ways, you know, uh, anything dumb out, outside of the basketball uh, court. But honestly, the offseason off was big for us. And I think everybody really worked on their games and we knew we had a chance to be really good this year and everybody wants to be special. Yeah, we all knew about the front court. What is it about the back court? that has been the sort of the great equalizer here that's given you guys the balance that you need? Honestly, I think we have one of the best backcourts back in, the, in the country. Uh, I see it every day, guarding Taz, guarding Sean McNeil, you know, Jordan McCabe. I think we just have a different piece that really helps this team go. And if everybody does their role, I think uh, we could really be hard to guard. All right. For those that don't know, your name is Miles McBride, nicknamed Deuce. Where does it come from? Uh, my dad, the second child, uh, just kind of went off to Deuce, and that's kind of just it. All right, Deuce. Um, one last thing here. Bob Huggins, um, not in the Hall of Fame yet. I fully expect it to happen. He's getting ever so closer to 900 wins, whether it happens this season or next season. Why is Bob Huggins a Hall of Famer? Uh, you know, he's had a lot of great players, and he's just always got, got them to play for him. 
and play for the school, you know, play for the state of West Virginia or whether he was at UC or Akron or whatever. All his good players really bought in. I think that says a lot about the coach and, and the recruiting. He's just somebody you can really trust and you want to do well for him. He's kind of like a, a father figure, you know. You just want to – you don't want to disappoint him. Appreciate it, Deuce. Thank you. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Chad Acock from Turner Sports. This is March Chadness. Chad, we've had buzzer beaters. We've had upsets. I would argue that more teams are coming off pause and are going on. And I'm a firm believer that conference games will get made up uh, because they have more time to make up and there's more incentive to make them up. And I feel pretty confident, unlike football, because we have more time, that for the most part, I think most of these leagues will get their full complement of conference games in. I believe it. We'll see if I'm right. So I, I just feel things are trending more in the right direction. We got vaccines on the market. Things are happening. So let's be positive. Let's go to some predictions and be positive that I actually am still on a pretty good roll. How am I doing? Yeah, not bad. Um, you've been unbelievably hot to start the season. Uh, and last week... I- I'm not going to say it was red hot. I'm not going to say it was a cool week. It was pretty much even. It was it was a 500 week. Uh, you finished four and four. It's funny because the you know the one time you actually pick Illinois to sweep the week, you know they end up losing at Rutgers on the road in a close game. Uh, you know some other upsets you know didn't really help you. San Diego State lost at home. Uh, Texas Tech didn't. You know they had that last uh, last possession uh, game they lost against Kansas. Uh, things like that didn't really work in your favor, but you did pick the Gonzaga game right against Iowa. Uh, Wisconsin smoked Illinois. Uh, Texas won uh, by three against Oklahoma State. So you had a lot of things working in your favor. But this week, it's a short week. It's the holiday season, so we've only got six games, but there's six really good games. Uh, so let's start with Tuesday, December 22nd. we got a top 10 matchup in the Big 12. Number seven, West Virginia at number three, Kansas. Uh, the Mountaineers, they're 7-1 they're and one on, uh, on the season, and they've probably played what most people believe, Gonzaga, the best team in the country. They probably played them to their close game. They only lost by five. Uh, and then speaking of Gonzaga, Kansas also played them, lost by 12, but they've won seven straight since that game. Uh, Andy, who do you like to win this game? So I'm going to still go with Kansas here. Kansas has not lost since uh, Gonzaga. Uh, neither has West Virginia. So as you said, like that's their common opponent. That's their common loss. I will say this, though. While it's not Fog Allen in its traditional form, there will be some fans there. And in this COVID era, you still have to travel. And there's a lot that goes into the travel aspect. And it's stressful. Um, There's a lot of sitting around. So I do think it can be a factor, even though you're not getting the full road experience. And so I think that favors Kansas. Um, Kansas will have an issue inside uh, there's no question about it. This, the strength of Culver and Shibway could be an issue if McCormick can't stay out of foul trouble. But I like the guard matchup. As, as good as McBride has played for West Virginia, uh, Ochai Abaji and Marcus Garrett have played almost next level for Kansas so far. So I like the Jayhawks, who as good as Baylor is playing right now, you still always got to beat Kansas to win the Big 12. That's right. We'll see if it happens. Yeah, West Virginia... Uh, always a little bit further away than the other Big 12 teams. So, yeah, they do have to travel, uh, you know, a little bit further than most. Uh, Wednesday night, a little 3 p.m. matinee. You've got number 22, uh, Xavier, against number 13, Creighton. Uh, the Musketeers are undefeated. So they're kind of putting this record to the test on the road. Uh, who do you like to win? I like Creighton. Um, Creighton did get nipped at home by Marquette. 
but then in overtime, they won at UConn. Uh, you know, Marcus Zagorowski, Damian Jefferson, they played very well when it mattered most. Uh, you know, I will say this about uh, Xavier. Um, the addition of Adam Kunkel, the transfer from Belmont, not just because he hit a buzzer beater, but I think that adds another offensive player that they needed to make them even more formidable. And really a team that I think could easily finish in the top three in the Big East. Uh, and so you add Kunkel with Fremantle, Zach Fremantle, and Paul Scruggs. And Xavier's got a lot of offensive options. Uh, and so this game is going to be a high-flying game. Even though Xavier likes to normally muddy it up, they can score with people now. That wasn't always the case. But I think Creighton's got just maybe too many weapons. I like Creighton to win. Yeah, Creighton, if, they're, if their threes are falling, they're hard to beat. But the one thing we've seen in their losses, you know, they kind of struggle to rebound the ball a little bit. So, yeah, if Xavier could get a few extra possessions on the, on the glass, maybe they could win it. But, yeah, hard to pick against Creighton's offense at home. Uh, another afternoon game on Wednesday, 4.30 uh, Eastern. You've got number 11 Rutgers at number 23 Ohio State. Another top 25 team putting uh, their undefeated record to the test on the road. Uh, do you like Rutgers or you think Ohio State knocks off a, another undefeated team? So I'm actually going to go with the road team here. Um, it's not that I'm dissing Ohio State, but I actually love the way Rutgers is playing right now. I thought Miles Johnson in that game against Illinois played with such great energy and activity that that's going to be a problem for Ohio State's bigs. You know, guard-wise, Geo Baker is still getting healthy, but he's he's finding his rhythm. Ron Harper Jr. has been an all-Big Ten player so far. Uh, I mean, he may be the best player on the floor when these two teams play. So I'm going with Rutgers on the road to really assert itself uh, as a legit contender in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's funny you say that. You know, we all went into the season thinking Geo Baker would be the star of this team, but Ron Harper Jr. has stepped up big time this season. So uh, we'll see what the Scarlet Knights can do there. Now, Christmas Eve, there's there's nobody playing. It's kind of an off day for everybody. But Christmas Day, we do have a pretty big matchup in the Big Ten. It's number nine, Wisconsin, at number 12, Michigan State, at 1230. It's the first big-time college basketball matchup on Christmas Day that I can remember in quite some time. Um, but, Andy, do you think either team will be distracted by playing on Christmas Day? It's such a big game. You know, How do you feel about them being distracted? And then who do you have winning? So, first off, um, I applaud the Big Ten. Uh, and there's been some debate about this because other leagues are not doing this. That majority of teams are staying through Christmas because of the fear of having to quarantine on the back end. And they went to the players and say, are you okay playing? Because you're going to be here anyway. And the players on this four Big Ten games, that's eight teams, uh, all agreed, no, we want to play. And so, for example, Michigan will be at Nebraska on Christmas Day. And this obviously one that you're talking about here the biggest game of the day, um, Michigan State hosting Wisconsin on Christmas Day. Look, Wisconsin's defense was phenomenal against Louisville and pretty darn good against uh, Rhode Island the week before. And they're starting to score, obviously, at a pretty high clip, you know, over 80 points. But I have a hard time seeing Michigan State lose two in a row. They had a bit of a stinker Sunday night at Northwestern. Uh, Northwestern deserved that game. Michigan State just did not play well at all. Uh, I don't see that happening uh, between Sunday night and Christmas Day. I'm going with the Spartans in a late possession win over the Badgers, two of the best teams, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country. Yeah, that'll be a phenomenal game. Yeah, we'll see if Sparty can rebound at home. Uh, next day, you've got sa uh, Saturday, December 26th. At noon, it's Kentucky at Louisville, but this is the first time that neither team has been ranked in this rivalry game uh, since 2008 when Louisville won by 14 at Rupp Arena. Uh, Kentucky just feels like an absolute mess. You know, we saw Coach Cal tweet out, 
you know, that Cam Fletcher was asked, you know, to step away from the team and maybe there's some culture issues going on that Coach Cal's trying to fix. Uh, Andy, surely you're going with Louisville here, aren't you? So I'm just going to be a contrarian here. You know, Carly Jones uh, did not play against Wisconsin. I don't actually know as we're taping his exact status for that game, but I will just say this. Kentucky's one in five. You're now giving Cal, uh, what, almost a week to get this thing together. And not that they can't be one in six, but I find it hard to believe he's not going to dig down deep. And keep in mind, they had a double-digit lead on North Carolina. So they were actually playing well for, what, three quarters of that game? And then it completely flipped on them? Now, North Carolina's bigs are much better than Louisville's. So that was an issue for... Kentucky. I'm going to go with, I don't know if I'd call this an upset, but I'm going to go with Kentucky winning at Louisville, flipping the switch, rebounding, and trying to correct and redirect their season. All right. So Kentucky with the surprise upset on the road. Uh, Andy, I want to ask you this question, though, too, though. Do you think do you think Kenny Payne's departure played any role in what we've seen out of Kentucky so far this season? So I'm not there, so I can't tell you that for sure. But he was definitely a calming influence. I mean, look, I love Bruiser Flint, uh, who replaced Kenny Payne. He was with Cal at UMass, obviously a former head coach at UMass, and Drexel most recently was uh, an assistant Archie Miller at Indiana. Now, he does not know the same group of players. Obviously, Kenny Payne did because he recruited all of them or helped recruit all of them. So maybe that might have had a change in the coaching staff. But I would also just say that no two groups are alike. And playing in Kentucky, especially when you have to play when you're young, is an issue. And you better be ready for all that, you know, that it entails. And then they added in multiple transfers that are new to the system. And so you've got transfers, you have young guys who've got a lot of hype. What they still lack are veterans who have been there. Not just veterans in the sport, but Kentucky veterans. They don't have them. That's a big difference between Duke and and uh, Kentucky's team this year, which have a lot of freshmen. Duke at least has a Matthew Hurt, a Wendell Moore, a Goldwire. You know, Keon Brooks is the only guy that I can think of off the top of my head from Kentucky that would fit that, and he's not playing right now. So they're lacking that veteran player who's been there at least a couple of years. Yeah, it's a good point. And even Keon Brooks, you know, he didn't play, but he still is the only player that did media in their last loss. So. Uh, yeah, we'll see if they can find a way to rally and, and get a win at Louisville. Uh, the last game of this week, it's a 4 o'clock matchup on Saturday. Number one, Gonzaga against uh, number 16, Virginia. That game's in Fort Worth. It was recently put on the schedule. Uh, pretty fun matchup here for a neutral site game that was just kind of, you know, just kind of hit us out of nowhere a, w- a week ago. Uh, Virginia's had some, had some time off, but they're back in action this week. Um Andy, I could be wrong, but I don't really see you picking against Gonzaga after everything they've done this season. Uh, am I wrong? Or, you know, does Virginia have any shot? What would Virginia have to do to really make it a game? What do you think? Well, they'd really have to pack it in. The pack line would have to be um, extremely tight uh, to really prevent getting to the to the basket. Also, they're going to have to make threes. Um, I saw them back-to-back games down at the bubble in Mohegan Sun hit 15 threes to beat a bad Towson team, and then only hit three to be to lose to a decent uh, San Francisco. So the one thing that I think Gonzaga is not getting enough credit here is their perimeter defense has actually been pretty good. Um, they did a great job 
on Iowa's guards. You know, Luka Garza still had 30, but Jordan Bohannon did not hurt. He did not hurt Gonzaga. So that's a big difference for the Zags, that Jalen Suggs, his athleticism, Joel Ayayi had 18 boards in that game, 18 for a guard. You know, and then um, their transfer from Southern Illinois played really well for Gonzaga. So they've had really good guard play that's not getting as much pub. I know Suggs is, but the complimentary players. So that's a huge positive for Gonzaga. And I think that's a problem for Virginia. You got to, you know, look, we have to give schedule of the year, which I pointed out in my uh, NCAA.com column to Mark Few, because literally, Chad, every game that Gonzaga is playing in their non-conference, they created six weeks ago. West Virginia and Indiana, which replaced Tennessee. You know, the the Kansas-Auburn games replaced their tournament down in Orlando. This Virginia game replaces the Baylor game. They picked up a couple of non-conference buy games that they're playing this week just to get games. Uh, And we'll see if the Baylor thing happens again. But all of these were just created in the last six weeks. And I asked Jalen Suggs if you you know this because you watched it. Uh, about that, and he was incredibly appreciative, and I and I think this is great because a lot of coaches promise we're going to play these kind of big time games, and then a pandemic happens, which never has happened in our lifetimes, and yet he still pro- his promise still came true. A lot of other schools that said, "Look, we're not going to do this. We're going to stay home," and maybe it's because of their school or their health departments, and we could you know people could debate that, but Mark Few kept his promise to recruits like Jalen Suggs and says, no, I'm going to get you big time games uh, because obviously they're not going to play as many in the WCC, but I'm going to get you big time games. And he delivered and they just picked up this one in Fort Worth the day after Christmas. Yeah. It's been incredible to see. Uh, but those are your six games, Andy, that are kind of the big ones this week in the holiday season. We'll see how you do, but I, I do want to ask you another thing. You know, we've seen teams like UCF win at Florida state. And then you mentioned the Northwestern game that beat Michigan state, not really expected, Upsets. Andy, is there any kind of is there any team that should be put on upset alert around the holidays? Maybe they get caught sleeping here. Yeah, I think it's Houston. Um, they're coming off a pause. I know they've just played one bye game, but their game at UCF, um, which will be their second game later this week, uh, you know that's a that's a red flag danger go- game. UCF won at Florida State, which I think is one of the best wins of the season, and they already beat Auburn. Uh, their loss was to Michigan. So UCF actually, they've only played a handful of games and they've all been high major. Uh, so Johnny Dawkins has actually got something good going down there and and they could emerge, you know, as, you know, potentially with SMU fighting for that second spot in the American. And so I think Houston has to be on upset alert in that game in Orlando. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. So we will track those six games and we'll, we'll see if we can get a little upset alert going in uh, the American. So fun to watch this week, Andy. Appreciate it, Chad. As always, thanks for all your hard work. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holiday. And we're going to talk again after uh, the Christmas holiday uh, next week in advance of what will really be the throes of uh, conference play around the country. That's right. We'll do it. All right. Thanks, Chad. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365, as always. Appreciate our Turner Sports team, Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and the entire NCAA.com team. Too many to name, but they all do an outstanding job engaging with you, our fans, our users, our readers, across all our platforms. I appreciate every one of you. Uh, Look, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, stay safe everyone. We're going to plow through this. We're going to be safe, but we're going to get the season in. 
We're going to keep entertaining, hopefully, you <laughs> throughout the course of this regular season and into the NCAA tournament. I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week.